Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash hard work. That's linkedin.com slash hard work to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. NetJets, the worldwide private aviation leader, is known for exceptional service, for personalizing every detail and elevating every flight. Because NetJets' standard is not just to meet their definition of perfection, it's to exceed yours. All by providing the custom, curated luxury experiences you deserve. Explore NetJets' premium travel solutions at NetJets.com. I don't need them to co-sign what I'm saying because I know what happened to me. I was there. And even if they believe this narrative about me, that's okay because that's what they have to do. 
but it has felt like rebuilding a human being from nothing to heal. It has felt like starting from devastation and slowly putting little pieces at a time back together. And, you know, it has changed everything about me as a person. And I've had to grapple with that. And it's just taken time, so much time. And I think this little inner urge that you can't not survive because what is the other option, you know? Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back. If you were looking for a new podcast episode last week, I want to apologize for its absence. It was the first time ever that I encountered some technical difficulties that prevented an episode getting released. I cannot tell you how much I hate technical issues. Nevertheless, I am super grateful to the listeners who reached out to let me know that they couldn't find the podcast. It truly warms my heart to know that you were checking up on me. This week on The Heal Blog, I am thrilled to introduce an amazing guest blogger, Dr. Heather Brown. Her wisdom shines through in this latest blog post titled Three Ways to Stop a Fight. This post is packed with fantastic advice on how to navigate high-conflict situations effectively. You can find the link to Dr. Heather's post in the show notes. If you have struggled with a toxic mother, father or family, you are going to really relate to this chat with this week's guest, Becky. Becky's childhood took place within a deeply dysfunctional household. Her mother exhibited highly toxic behavior whilst her father was abusive and intimidating. In an effort to avoid becoming targets themselves, Becky's brothers and sisters strived to stay out of harm's way. Sadly, Becky often found herself on the receiving end of her mother's abusive behavior, leading to confusion, trauma and fear. Despite the difficult circumstances, Becky remained steadfast in her support for her mother. However, at any given moment, her mother could turn against Becky, leaving her devastated. 
Growing up in an environment with a toxic parent permeated the entire family dynamic as each member lived in a constant state of survival. Becky endured some profoundly difficult times and has since dedicated years to her healing journey, attempting to make sense of what had happened to her growing up. The insights that Becky shares in this episode are immensely important, offering valuable guidance for anyone seeking their own path to healing. Please join me now for Becky's story. Becky, welcome to the podcast. You are a mum. You own your own Taekwondo school with your husband and you are a fourth degree black belt, which is very impressive. You (laughs) love working with kids and giving back to your community. And from the outside, just like so many of us, you make life look easy. But the truth is that you had a hard and traumatic time growing up and you want to share your story so that it brings hope to others who may have experience similar to you. Let's go back to your very early childhood. What are your earliest memories or feelings around being a part of your birth family? Well, thank you very much for having me here. I've been a fan of your podcast. You know, I think like many people, even at a young age, I just knew something was wrong and some pretty big and scary and ugly abuse happened when I was older. It started when I was older, but when I was young, it was more of this kind of insidious thing that I knew was there, but I didn't have language for. Mm. And both of my parents are abusive, but my mom was the one where I first knew even as a very little person, that something wasn't right. So even though, you know, I'm the middle of five kids, which is a lot of kids as a mother now, I'm like, that's a lot of kids. But even as a young kid with no words, I knew that that relationship wasn't okay, but I didn't know why. And later in life, it got so much worse. But even as a very little person, that awareness was there because of things that happened. It's almost like a feeling in your body, isn't it? That that something's not right, I guess. Yes. And she would say or do things. I think that part of the emotional abuse started really young where I knew it wasn't normal. I didn't know why, but I knew it wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. And there were four other kids in that mix and I can't speak for them, but for me as a child in that family, I responded to what she was doing, knowing, like feeling it very deeply. I I just knew that it wasn't normal. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more about your mum? What what was she or what was her parenting style? What was she doing in the home? Sure. Well, there were five kids and my mom and dad made the decision to homeschool all of us. They were very, very religious and conservative and didn't want us in the normal world, so to speak. And so it was really just us and our mom all day long, every day. So she was really the only parent we had for most of the day. And 
you know, I'm a mother now and I have a four-year-old daughter. And so looking back at that time, she was just a very, her cruelty came out in ways that were pretty surprising for how young we were. And I didn't know that that wasn't normal because we were alone in this house and it was just my mom. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the situation that we were all in for Mm. until I went to high school. So her role in the house was to teach us and be our mom at the same time. And she was never really a nurturing or compassionate person in my experience. It's quite intense, isn't it, to be brought up in a home where you're homeschooled because it is such a small world. And if you have, you know, this very nurturing kind of mother, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? And you're sort of really trapped in this situation and there's no outside relief at all. There wasn't. And when I was a little kid, like many little kids, I was very sensitive and I was very yearning for that maternal love. And in therapy, I've, I've, I realized like I used to think that I was the problem for, for reacting so sensitively to the way she was, but I was like five years old in this world where there were no answer uncles there were no teachers there were no other kids there were no other adults it was just her and us and as a little person yearning for like that safe connection and to not get it I think that lack of other people in my world was very traumatizing yeah Mm, absolutely and what about your dad what was his role in the family well, he was a is a welder, and so he was gone a lot. But I was always, I was always scared of him. Always, probably not before I was five or six. But by the time I was five or six, I was having some pretty complex and frightened feelings about them both. So neither one of them was safe, and I knew that, even though. I didn't really know that at the time because I was only six, but that's the state that I personally was living with inside my head, inside my heart. That was my daily awareness of the two of them. Mm. And so was there abuse, domestic violence in your home? There was. It start that part of it started when I was older, maybe around 12, but other types of abuse started when I was much younger than that. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I think that those types of abuse, the quieter ones, the ones that happen behind closed doors that maybe society doesn't understand as much, people don't know that what is happening to them is abuse. Mm. And I know that now. And looking back at that time before the violence started, like the physical violence started, there was so much mental and emotional abuse that happened that had just changed me forever because I mean when you're that young you were so vulnerable we all were my brothers and sisters too and everything that's happening to you and that you're seeing that you're processing and that is being said to you that you're witnessing it all is making a mark on your development 
So yes, very bad physical violence started happening when I was about 13. But before that, there had already been so much damage done that I really do think just changed me forever, you know? And I think as a culture and as humans, we need to talk about those things so that we we know that it's not okay that these things are happening to people and their children. So yes, to physical violence, absolutely, but it didn't happen until I was, it didn't start happening until I was older, about 13. Yeah, so when you're talking about emotional abuse, can you give us like an example of, of what was going on? Yeah, it's taken me a lot of therapy to get to this, <laughs> this point mm. where, so I think if people are listening and they're like, well, I don't know if I was emotionally abused or I don't know it, you know, it took me a long time to, and a lot of EMDR and a lot of therapy to sort through these memories and be like, wow, there's a name for this. So at the time, I certainly didn't have this name, but something that my mom would do when I was young was shun me and probably my other siblings too, but I, you know, I can't speak for them, but I was probably six, maybe seven. And I made some innocuous comment that kids make where I saw another mom and she was like, lovingly braiding her daughter's hair and I was like oh that's so nice you know I wish my mom was like that and I said that to my mom totally innocent six had no idea that was like a faux pas and my daughter now she's starting to say stuff like that you know when she's like grumpy you're not my friend anymore you know just stuff like that and my mom didn't speak to me for days and I was six and I remember desperately trying to get her to acknowledge my existence and be like mom mom like did I do something wrong like I'm so sorry like what did I do and she just would not even acknowledge my work like that I had even spoken and again we're homeschooled so I am around her 24 7 and we were driving in a car and I remember sitting there trying to get her attention because she hadn't spoken to me in so long and again six years old probably and even my other siblings like must have seen it to an extent because my one of my siblings was like, oh, mom, I would never do something like that to you. And she said, oh, I know you wouldn't. You're not like that. And I was so little. And I just remember so many times when she would react to our human, my, can't speak for them, my humanity in that way. And, you know, on a much bigger darker scale there there were always guns in my house growing up which I think is pretty common in abusive families but there was one time when she I, I think I was probably 11 when she pointed a sawed off shotgun right at my chest it was loaded and went like this like she had just shot me and then laughed and I was so young, but even then knew that I couldn't react out of fear or judge her. So I just kind of was like, oh, haha, mom, please don't do that. You could have actually, you know. And I can still remember that gun being pointed at my chest so clearly. And when I finally was able to get out of that situation and I just wanted to hide and I just sat in my room and I just held my knees 
And I just wanted to like regulate myself. Cause if you showed, if you showed sadness or anger or aversion, it made things worse. So by that point I had learned this. And I remember she found me and she was angry at me and telling me that I was overreacting and I was being ridiculous and to stop wallowing and all these things. So throughout my childhood, her response to me as a person could very much be that way. So I think that kind of abuse might not leave a physical mark, but it sure leaves an impact. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's terrifying for a little child, like, for anybody to do that but for it to be your own mother because you know your mother is supposed to be the person that you feel the safest with and not only does she point a gun at you and terrify you but when you're then very deeply upset there's no acknowledgement of your feelings it's it's like you need to bury that and just stop being ridiculous and yeah. I mean, that's just a, a massively toxic combination of things, isn't it? Which if you're getting on a regular basis throughout your life, it just totally changes the way that your brain and body function because yeah. you're, you're living in fear really, aren't you? Yes. And yes. And it's at the time you don't know that it's wrong or that mothers aren't supposed to be that way. You know, you mm. don't know that that's abuse. You don't know. You just think that that's your mother who you love. And at all costs, you are going to keep the peace and make it work because it's your mom. I mean, you just don't know. But, you know, it was just lots of mental things like that where if I tried to show her love or affection, she'd be like, don't touch me like that. Don't look at me like that. And you know, imply that I was bad for different things that were, you know, so small. And I used to just go hide under my bed. And I remember that so clearly and just feel like I had this cannonball in my chest that had gone through my chest and just, I would just stay under there for hours in this little ball and no one ever came to find me, you know, and even before the physical abuse had started, that was my world. And I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't talk to my siblings about it. I didn't, it just all became inside of me. And I think my life's work as an adult has been to get it all outside of me so that, you know, it doesn't stay that way. Yeah. And, you know, you're in a house, like one of five children, every child in that scenario is trying their best to survive, right? I mean, yeah. the child who says, I would never do that to you, mum, that's, yeah. that's their way of surviving because this is toxic. Even the children that feel that they, they might be getting the love, I mean, it's, it's still toxic, right? There's no, there's no real yeah. love and care there. You can't, you can't say that it's real love and care. No, and, you know, my choice to not be in contact with my parents has created this enormous divide between my brothers and sisters and I, but I have always considered them to be fellow victims of all this, even though I don't think I really know their story or how it affected them. 
in the same way that they have no clue what my experience was like because she was different with every different child and still is depending on who's the good kid, who's the black sheep, who's the one that, you know, is in her favor, who's the one that's not. And so that was their world as well. And we were all just kids. I mean, we were all just doing our best. It was, you know, none of that was on my siblings either, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you were say 10 years old, when you woke up in the morning, how would you feel about your day, your life? Were you starting to get anxiety, depression? Because it, it it's such a weight, isn't it? I felt absolute dread every single day. And I had massive, massive anxiety, but I didn't know what it was, you know. And my bedroom was adjacent to my parents' bedroom. So I developed really horrible sleeping problems because I could hear the abuse all night through the wall and all like from both of them. And would just lay there not knowing what to do, not knowing what my responsibility was in that situation. And that got so much worse as I got older and into my teen years. But I just remember waking up and having no idea what was going to happen to me. And there'd be times when everything was mellow, you know, and having that many brothers and sisters, of course you play and you have like, you know, that was like the nineties and early two thousands. So you like go outside and you like, so there were of course like moments like that, but it would always come back and it kept getting worse. And so my sense of safety was just non-existent by the time I was a preteen was just gone. Yeah. And do you describe yourself as a parentified child? Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. That's a term I learned when I got out of my family system for the second time and something I learned while I was healing. And it's the child that becomes the caretaker of the parent, even though they are so far too young, far too not emotionally or mentally equipped to do that job. But for some reason, I became that person out of all of my siblings at that time. I was, I was the one. And what that looked like for me was throughout my high school, my mom was drunk for most of it. And when she wasn't drunk was, you know, there was a lot of physical abuse that had started. And I was the one getting in the middle and trying to protect her and making sure that she slept and she had water and she had food and trying to make sure that as much as humanly possible, my younger brother and sister that were still in the home didn't know what was happening. I don't know if I succeeded or not, but I tried. And I really took on this mantle of this is my duty. This is what I'm supposed to do, protect my mother at all costs. And that shift happened when I was in high school and when the abuse got so much worse and both of my older siblings were gone. So, you know, it's basically a swap in the parent-child relationship but it also is completely dysfunctional. Mm. It's interesting yeah. you took on that role as being in the situation you were in, you would have thought 
that others would have been taking on that role as well. But your mum your mum sounds like she was struggling with a lot of stuff from her own past, I'm assuming, because yeah. you're saying now that she's started becoming an alcoholic and there were substance abuse issues there. So she was obviously yeah. she was obviously dealing with a lot of her own stuff. She was and she had cut off her entire family. And she had, I know now from talking to those family members, also made it so that no one from my dad's side of the family was involved either. So it was really just her and my dad. She, there was no one else. And, you know, I don't want to tell too much of her own trauma story because I feel like that's maybe not my place, but she definitely had a very, very big trauma history. And I spent so many years using that as a, a reason like why she then in turn abused me and like you know had a lot of actual like very very real and profound compassion for her so I always knew that because she would you know she would share that and then I found out more about her story so she definitely had her own her own very real struggles but I think no matter how much you know that abuse still isn't okay you oh, know no. no yeah no it's not okay it's just you can just see it playing out you know yeah. like you, you look at I mean I, I I look at people that I meet and you can just feel the generational trauma you, yeah you, because people don't start behaving in in these ways for no reason there's always a right. reason and generally it comes back to what happened to them growing up. And that's obviously what you're now deciding to break for your own family, because that's what we need to do. Otherwise it just perpetuates. And there, there's a lot of shame, isn't there, around all of this abuse, the, the way that you're treated, because you're, you're so much made to feel like you're the problem. There's something wrong with you. And that shame is not ours to hold on to. It's, it was just perpetuated onto us. Did you feel a lot of shame? So much. And I am a total, in a total agreement with you that there's no, people don't just act that way to their children without having it have happened to them in some way. I totally agree with that. I think what really has made this so hard for me to continue to have a relationship with them. Cause I, I would have used that as a reason to have compassion for them forever was that when I was just getting out of high school, my mom totally just turned on me and tried to destroy my life. And that caused me what that and what happened afterwards just hammered that shame so home because I had spent so many years protecting her and loving her so fiercely and trying to stop abuse from happening to her and being a witness to some very terrifying abuse. And then just what felt like in a second, she had turned on me and tried to actively destroy my life. And I think that caused a ton of shame too, because I didn't I didn't know that parents aren't like that. Like, that's not normal. I just, you know, I, I think inside I felt like I must have deserved it. 
you know? Mm. And I think that causes a lot of shame. And I think shame is one of the biggest struggles for people that are coming out of situations like this. Mm. So was that, you're talking about this incident that happened, was that your lowest, like your breaking point to deciding to go no contact with your mum? It's been a, a journey to this. I was about to graduate high school and, you know, I had been very preoccupied with dealing with this abuse in my house and protecting my mom and my little siblings. And so I, I was actually a very good kid. Like I hadn't, I had never had a sip of alcohol. I was very like buttoned up and very like, you know, I was a straight A student and I got into this relationship during the worst peak of the physical violence and I think I was just so on the verge of shattering that I just had to grasp something and it was so innocent I mean it was like we were both little Christian 18 year old you know it was so innocent but it was probably far too serious for how old we were but my mom just lost it like I think she sensed that maybe I was going to get out And she kicked me out when I was maybe not even 18 years old for being 10 minutes late on my curfew. So I found myself at that age with nowhere to go and nothing for no reason. And you'd think that was the lowest point, but it it took some time, it took some time to get there because when you're 18 and you're coming out of chronic, chronic abuse you're just so mentally destroyed and physically and emotionally destroyed that I don't think I had the wherewithal or the strength to be like, that is it. Like I am, you know, I, I think it was too complicated still at that point. It was too, my siblings were still in the house. You know, it was just way too, I wasn't ready then. I, I didn't know that you could even do that. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like another, it's just another thing, isn't it? I mean, when you're so filled up to here with, abuse and then your mum chucks you out for being 10 minutes late it's almost like oh well you expect that almost I mean it's it's just so much going on you can't you probably didn't even think oh this is really unreasonable this is really bad it's just oh this is just mum doing what she does exactly and so did you go back into the family home not for about a year because I was it was at a very weird time that this happened because when I was a senior in high school, my dad smashed my mom's head in to the point that, and only I knew, of course, like I wasn't going to tell my brothers and sisters this, but her whole head felt like a a melon in the grocery store that had gone soft, you know? And I was the only one that knew. And this was right before I got kicked out. It was like two months later, I was kicked out after this. And I was the only one that knew besides my father. We both knew, but we, you know, we didn't even speak. Like it was just, and I was constantly putting myself between the two of them and listening to these fights at night where he was threatening to murder her. And I would go in and try to intervene. And right after that, I got kicked out. And from my mom, it was, that to me, I think made me shut down in a way where Everything that then happened to me from that point on was my fault. I think I truly believed that I was bad. I was, I had betrayed them. I had dared 
to leave, you know, not that I had much choice in it at the time, but I think the fact that she did that and not him was so confusing to me at the time. And then after that, she just actively tried to destroy my life as an 18 year old kid, you know, and I had no idea how the world worked. I had no money. I had no family anymore. I had no extended family because they had all been, you know, sent away. And she was threatening to kill pastors at my church, have my brother kill them because he was in the military. She was calling all my high school teachers and my anybody that she thought would help me, she would call or reach out to and try to to just scream at them and defame me and it just was happening every single day. And I remember just not even being able to really function. And so I was away for like a good year, but not really because it was still happening to me on a daily basis, you know, her doing things like that. She went so far as to accuse one of my high school teachers that had suspected things weren't quite right of being like a molester. She called the school because he was trying to help me because I was this, you know, teen that had no resources. And she called the school that I had just graduated from and, and basically told this lie about this man to try to get to me. Wow. And so even though I was away for that year, it was really still, the abuse was still happening. You know, I was still getting it. My job, anywhere I ended up that she could find, she was, she was doing this. And the whole time I... And I think it's honestly partially because of my martial arts training, but I just felt like I couldn't fight back. I felt like this was this broken person, this abuse, like she's being physically abused, right? Like I just felt like I could not meet her at that level and I just had to take it. And I think that's why it took me such a long time to get to the point where I just now, like you just get to a point where you literally just cannot do it anymore you know mm. and I think that's something that's so misunderstood about children that have no contact relationships with a parent is that it's the last thing you want and it takes so long to get to that point and so many times of trying to go back and maybe you're estranged for a while and then you come back until that one thing happens or that one time is just one too many time and you literally have to do it or you won't, you as a human being will not be okay. Mm. So even that, even that being that age and having that happen wasn't enough at that time, yeah. you know? Well, you're so disconnected from reality. I mean, it's yeah. like you're in a parallel universe and everything yes. in there is abusive. I know having spoken to others in your situation, it's just deep confusion. You're so your your life is just totally different to what is actually happening to anybody else. And so things just continue to pile on and you don't really realise what's happening because you're already so far down. So did you actually go back home at some point? So I got out of that very young relationship that I had been in. Because when you're, you know, when you're 18, you don't, you don't know anything. So, and I did re-enter their lives and no one wants to not have parents and no one wants to lose their siblings. Like nobody, nobody wants that. 
and I tried to, I tried to make it work and I didn't have very much knowledge yet. I, I didn't know what I know now. I, I hadn't gone through 15 years of therapy, you know? And so, yes. And I was so strongly dissociated and just like deeply shut down from PTSD that, and that was my own personal you know, reaction to what had happened to me. And then when I was, I got into therapy when I was 21 and she's like, you really need to read adult children of alcoholics, this book. I, I, you've probably heard of it. And it just blew my mind because it was the first time I had ever known the word alcoholic even, or all these terms for what had happened to me. And I had a full just breakdown because it was like, oh my God, this has happened to me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And... I was still really young, like 21. And I tried to do this thing where like, I just needed a break while I went through some therapy, like not even full, no contact, but I just need a little space because my body, as I was reading this book, the trauma was coming out. I was breaking out in like full hives. I was having panic attacks because this like denial or this lack of knowledge was gone. And so I tried to create this separation, but my mom, like she just, that's not any kind of like boundary is not okay. And the same stuff she was doing when I was younger, she started doing again and with my siblings too. And it just got to the point where I couldn't speak to any of them because everything that I was communicating, she would find out if I tried to change my phone number, she would get it or my email, you know? So I was in such a fragile state. I was just like, I cannot, like I, I have got to go to therapy or I'm going to be in a bad way. Like I might not make it. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology. We call this Deep Sales, and we've built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash trial. 
That's linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash hard work. That's linkedin.com slash hard work to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And, you know, in a family like mine, that just doesn't, a boundary like that, no one is going to be okay with that. And no one's going to respect it. And when I tried to explain it to some of my siblings, and again, you know, they're victims and all of this too, but it was met with, you know, well, yeah, you know, they did some stuff to you, but really this is your fault because your life has been messy as a young adult and you've made all these bad choices and all this stuff. And it was like, so really don't you think you're the reason that you're having this mm. break? So that was the first time I wouldn't call it no contact where I was estranged. And then about five years ago, right after my daughter, four years ago, right after my daughter was born was when it was like, some stuff had happened where I was just like, that, that is, this is it. And that comes with some pretty profound grief and not a choice I ever wanted to make, but you know, that's when I would say the word no contact comes in. Mm. So do you think in the end you were able to go no contact because of your daughter? Because I think sometimes we can't do it for ourselves, but we can do it for them because we, we don't want them to have that, right? That, that yes. we can see their value and they, they don't deserve it. Just like we don't deserve it. We know that, but, but sometimes we can't do it for ourselves. Yes. And I've had the same therapist for a long time. And when she was born and all this was happening, he's like, thank God for that little girl, because she has opened your eyes in ways that they probably never would have been in the same way because I had gotten out of a very long-term serious but very unhealthy relationship and a few years later got married to my current husband and had this baby and around that time when that last relationship was ending my family came back into my life and I, I tried so hard to like make it work especially with my mom. Like I was, I really wanted it to work. And so they, they were in my lives for a few years after that estrangement. And then when my daughter was born and she was visiting me, a side of her came out because she'd be like, I've changed, I've changed, you know, I don't drink anymore. All that's over. Like it was a few bad years, you know, and I was just like, I'm going to give, this is my mother. I am going to give her a chance, you know, like I, I am not a perfect person. I've made my own mistakes, but I have always loved my family so much. I'm going to give her a chance. And then right after I'd given birth, probably a few weeks after I'd given birth, she was in my house. And some of the things that she was doing, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, no, there has been zero change there. They, and that was started me towards what eventually became where I'm at now. So without that perspective of, you know, holding this like little human that is so innocent and 
so dependent on me and, and having the realization of being like, that was me. That was all of us. Like, you don't know that. You don't know that you were ever little. You don't know that you were ever so innocent and didn't deserve what happened to you or how your parents treated you. You don't know. And then when I saw her, it just, I saw my older sister, the firstborn, you know, I thought of how they had treated her. I thought of all my brothers and sisters and that we were my daughter, just these innocent little people. And it just, you can't go back from knowing something like that, you know? Yeah. And I can hear how much hope you had in that moment where your mom said everything had changed because exactly what you said, you know, we all want to have family. Like, you know, when people say, oh, this person's gone off and, and then having nothing to do with their family, they're a terrible person. Like, there's a nobody that wants that. It's nobody. just not true. Like nobody is leaving their family for no reason. We're leaving family because we're absolutely at the very, very end of our tether. And you said after everything that happened, you know, you wanted that relationship. There was so much hope there, but people don't change, you know. And so, yeah, it's it's such a, a revelation to have this little baby and to see that other perspective, that that perspective of who you were, that tiny, yes. beautiful soul who came here perfect and just made of pure love and what happened to her and and you have to make that decision. And so when you made that decision, did you get some sort of ongoing abuse or was there there's stuff that happened after that of course and you know when I had my daughter I was you know it's a very beautiful but hard time in your life and my husband and I already had our taekwondo business and I had never been anything but a black belt woman and my body had gone through all of this stuff and I was you know I was in therapy and my therapist was really kind of pushing me on this family stuff. Like we need to talk about this. And then my mom came to help me and I was holding my daughter and you're in that very like crazy postpartum phase. And she just went off and it wasn't about me. It was about my brothers and sisters, the ones that like have had to make their own choice to not have me in their life because she doesn't want that. You know, the people that are so loyal to her, And just the thing she was, she just went on this screaming tirade out of nowhere about them. And they don't deserve that. You know, they're wonderful people. And she was saying how she and my father both agree that having one of them ruin their lives and has always ruined their lives and is still ruining lives by existing one of their own children and saying things about my sisters and brothers-in-laws that were just so cruel and about my siblings very personal things about them about how disloyal and awful they are and they have no clue you know and I was just sitting there holding my own baby that is like so precious listening to a mother talking like that about her own children so that was when that seed I was like this is not this is not good this is she is still an abuser because they have all managed to like 
come up with this agreement that I'm the crazy one and I'm the, the soft one and I'm the one that couldn't cope and I'm the disloyal one and I'm the cruel one that makes our mom cry. But there she was saying the nastiest things about the people that have been so loyal to her. So that kind of turned on the, the switch where I was like, okay, she's still the same person. And then I went to visit them traveling for a Taekwondo thing without my daughter or my husband. And I was in our childhood home visiting and, you know, just really trying to put all of that aside. And we started talking about a subject that they know that we have different opinions on. And I am pro-choice and they are not, you know, difference of opinion, but my mom just started I'm sitting there just trying to eat my pizza. My older sister was there with my parents. And I'm just like, I just want to do my best to try to make this work. And my mom just went off on this spiel about how, could you imagine if your daughter was hacked up into pieces by abortion? I'm like, look, can we really just not talk about this? Like we have different views. Like I really don't think we should do this. Like just trying to make it stop because I knew where it was headed. And she just kept getting angrier and angrier and more out of control. And as she had been when I was a teenager and a kid, like I knew that version of her where she is just like, she is gone and there is another human or something there that has lost it and is full of rage and of hatred and just out of control. And I was still trying to make it stop. And at that point, even my dad was trying to make it stop, which was very weird. He, even he was like, do not do this again. And I just stood up and I just walked out the front door because it dawned on me like what this has been my entire life. And I have put myself back in this situation because I don't want to not have a family. And if I lose her, I lose all of my brothers and sisters in the sense that I will now once again, not be okay in the family. What am I doing here though? And I stood up and I walked outside and my mom followed me and she was just seething. And I know that sounds over the top, but if you've ever known a person like that, where their personality just and they become this other monstrous person. Like, I'm sure there are people listening that have known someone like that. And for me, it's my mom. And I just walked to my car, trying, I just didn't even say a word. I was just trying to leave. And my sister, my poor older sister was trying to placate her. And my mom was just spewing horrible venom at her about how awful she is and all this stuff. And I just grabbed my sister's arm and very calmly looked at her and said, you do not have to let this happen to you. You are allowed to leave. You have the power to leave. You don't have to, you don't have to do this. Cause I didn't want that to happen to her either. And then I just got in my car and I, and I drew, drove away. And even after that, because I knew the consequence of, of not speaking to my mother, I tried to keep text open. I was like, it's okay. I know you're upset. We shouldn't have talked about that topic because we don't agree. And I would send her pictures of my daughter and I would send her updates, but it wasn't enough. If I wouldn't call her, she couldn't accept it. 
And she started leaving me abusive voicemails again. She commented on my business social media page about me for my students and clients to see. And I was like, no. And that just, there was some just like clarity in my being that I didn't deserve it. And it was too much. And there was nothing I was going to do short of putting myself back in that system where I took it, accepted the abuse that was going to stop it. Like it's with my mom, I think it's either all or it's nothing. Because if you keep even a little bit of it, but it's not what she wants, she's going to come after my family and my business and my humanity and my morals as she proved. And that was just four years ago, you know, as a 31 year old woman doing the same thing as when I was an 18 year old girl. And so ever since then, it's just been this very strong internal knowing that that was the last time. And, you know, when I tried to set that boundary and she started doing the same thing she'd always done to me, that was when I knew that it was really done. Even though it's not what I wanted, that is what I had to do if I was going to survive and heal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how you got through that, you know, like it, it, well, it's a necessity, isn't it? You have to, but you, you lose, like you say, you, you lose your mother, but then your father, then your siblings, and you probably lose countless other people as well out of your life because that's how it goes, isn't it? How, how has that been? Because you do become very detached from extended family. When I was the first time that it happened, when I was 18, when she kind of went on this rampage against my life, I lost even high school friends that were in the same religious community that we were in because she she called them and, and she would rage to me and threaten me and tell me that I could have no access to my brothers or sisters. But then she'd call these people and sob mm-hmm. and weep about what I was doing to her. And they believed it. I mean, she was the loud one, the, the one putting it out there. And I was the one that just didn't say anything. And I lost most of the people I knew from that time. And everywhere I went, I was afraid of when my mom would contact them, like my first job, you know, I lost most of the people I had known my entire, you know, teenage years, because they believed what she said. And this time, what I have found is that I have actually gotten back in touch with both sides of my parents' families because part of my therapy, like I wanted to know if what I had been taught about them was true because it started to dawn on me that if they could treat their own child or children the way they had, maybe that wasn't quite true. So in a weird way, it's kind of brought my aunts and uncles from those parts of the family like back into my life, which is strange. But it has done what I knew it would do with my brothers and sisters. The day after she did that and she lost it on me, I knew, like, I'm not going to see my siblings. I knew. And I was supposed to because I was home. 
And sure enough, that next morning, I started to get the text like, oh, I actually can't come see you. Oh, I can't. We were supposed to meet up, but I can't. And I haven't, I haven't seen them since. And I don't say that to disparage them because they're in a horribly difficult, horribly difficult spot where I understand. I understand why they don't want what has happened to me. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I get it. So honestly, I don't say that out of anger or resentment towards them, more just sadness, because I think it's going to be like that from mm-hmm. now on, you know? So that has been the greatest and saddest cost of all of this. Yeah, and it is so sad, isn't it? It's so sad because it's your family and it's very sad that they choose this sort of toxic path because really they're choosing toxicity. It, they must know that this is what the deal is and yet that's what they're choosing because they can't see any way out of it and yeah it's just yeah it's just so hard I mean how obviously you're talking about you've been to therapy how do you really begin to heal how do you come back to who you actually are it has taken a very long time I've been in therapy since I was 20 years old and I'm 35 But honestly, I don't think I was ever going to heal if that was still in my life because I was still in that system. And, you know, I used to be so baffled how my how my siblings couldn't see it the same way that I did. But something I've learned through therapy and these other things is that you can live in the exact same house and have the exact same parents and still have totally different outcomes and different you know their experience with them could have been different than mine I mean mine was this horrific thing but maybe for them I mean I don't know so as I've gone through this that's given me some acceptance to be like I don't need them to co-sign what I'm saying because I know what happened to me I was there and even if they believe this narrative about me that's okay because That's what they have to do. But it has felt like rebuilding a human being from nothing to heal. It has felt like starting from devastation and slowly putting little pieces at a time back together. And, you know, it has changed everything about me as a person. And I've had to grapple with that. And it's just taken time so much time and I think this little inner urge that you can't not survive because what is the other option you know Mm. and just having other people that aren't in that sick system hear my story and be and and validate who I am as a human being and so in my situation that doesn't come from immediate family that comes from other people. And it's just given me so much conviction that even if you lose your family, which is the last thing that you want, and even if they have broken you until you don't even know how to function anymore, there is hope that you can slowly be okay. And I think I've just held on to that with both hands and it's starting to slowly like 
you know, pay off. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's about getting to a point that that turning point is really about truth, isn't it? Yeah. Because you can deny it forever. You can even partially deny it forever. But all of a sudden when you do see the full truth and you realise what's actually happening, what you will accept, we really do need to acknowledge what's happened to us in order to heal, I suppose. Yes. And I think having knowledge and the right words to know what has happened to you is so important to know that there are terms and there's types of abuse and there's names for addiction and to just know, because when you don't know, you think it's just you and you're the problem, especially as a kid. And I spent so much of my life knowing that my dad was this, from my experience, this very scary, scary human being that I spent so many years as a teenager wondering what to do about it, staying up all night, wondering if he was going to murder my mother because of what I was experiencing and being told, to also having to look at my other parent who had been so long someone that I fiercely tried to protect to be like, they abused me too. And once I put those two things together and I had that clarity and that knowledge, that's how you move forward. Once you can put into words and and say it and it's true and you know it, then I think you can start to, to heal. Yeah. hundred percent. And so apart from therapy, what has allowed you to heal? What sort of things have been important? I am very grateful for my career. I get to work with people and for a very long time, had a very bad, like very difficult time trusting any other human being, as you can imagine. But being able to work with kids and be there for them and not just teach them like how to kick and punch, but have them talk to me and confide to me when their life is hard and to be able to, from my own survival and experience, be there for them. That has been super, super validating and and helpful for me personally being a mother because I have just one daughter, you know, a girl like I was and being able to love her so much and nurture her and meet her needs and be so present has shown me, I don't know, it's just done something so powerful for me and has taught me so much about children and who I was and who my brothers and sisters were and just getting to the point through a lot of processing and therapy to be like, you know, I am whole as I am, even if I don't have parents and I don't have the family that I wanted, it's okay. Like I have these other things. So I've had, I've been very fortunate to have these other things in my world that have been very, my own Taekwondo training and competition, like that I think has gotten me through a lot mm-hmm. having something that wasn't about the rest of this yeah and you're a black belt and I guess you talk about all the abuse that you went through and then you get into a martial art where it is very physical and people are sort of attacking you almost how do you actually 
reconcile that coming from an abusive background. Isn't that interesting? I've thought about that a lot because I started when I was nine and the really intense physical abuse, I wanted to say, started around when I was 14, maybe 13. So I'd already been in Taekwondo for a few years and there was this drastic shift in how I felt for a while where there's something called sparring where you put on like a mouthpiece and some gear and you actually like hit each other and it's, it's a sport, you know, no one leaves hurt. But I remember feeling like I couldn't bear to have anyone hit me. And I had been this fierce, like black belt, little girl, like free sparring. And all of a sudden it was like, I just felt like one gaping wound and that I just didn't, I couldn't bear to have one more person or man in a scenario where they were hitting me or anything like that. But then as an adult and as someone in recovery, there are some beautiful lessons in martial arts about perseverance and about mental resilience. And this helped me when I was a kid, being able to maintain composure and calm even when you feel extremely threatened. I had to use that with my parents a few times. And so as I've gotten older, it's been this incredible resource. And I think it's, it's impacted how I teach to make people feel empowered versus like they're being attacked, if that makes sense. Mm. But during the worst years of the abuse, it was, it was really hard. But I was so dissociated and shut down that I didn't really know how to, you know, express that. But I'm just thankful that it's changed as I've gotten older and I can kind of reclaim that as, as mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess you talk about being so dissociated and yet healing is really about connecting, isn't it, with other people. Yes. How, how have you learned to connect in after what you've experienced? That has been one of my greatest challenges. And I think it's normal. And I think it makes people like us feel scared. Like, why can't I, you know, go in a grocery store and not feel like super elevated? Like there's so many people, you know, or to really let someone in because you, you feel so much shame and self like, until you know better, you think it's all your fault. You turn it all on yourself. Like, and that makes it hard to connect to people too. And so it's an ongoing practice for me. But again, my daughter, because when you are a mother, there's no other option, you know, like she is so in tune with me and so connected to me that if I even like stub my toe and like grimace she'll be like oh mama what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong you know she's always watching me and she's always I am her mom and so that has taught me to really let my guard down and be soft with another person and I've seen that kind of bleed out into other areas of my life and and losing the shame and the the self loathing and being able to meet a new friend or a new girlfriend. And when they ask about my life, be totally honest and be like, this happened to me. These are the mistakes I've made. This is what my life has been like. And just say it with no self-judgment and see how many people have actually responded with like, 
love that I wasn't expecting, you know? Mm. And so just little lessons over time that have enabled me to start taking those risks. Feels like a risk again. Mm. Yeah. It's vulnerability, isn't it? And it's truth again, isn't it? It's just being truthful. I guess we can live for our entire lives with a big shell around us, but once we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, it changes everything so much. And you now have a, a little daughter and after your experience with your mum, what is it that you want to give to her? What is important? That's such a good question. She is the most important and beautiful thing in my life. And I am trying so hard to cultivate this relationship with her where I am her safe place and to teach her that she is her own person because I lost so much of my own autonomy by being put in the scenarios that I was and also trying to already teach her that being a human is okay like to not be perfect is okay to And you're still worthy of love because growing up in a situation where love is so conditional, I know it shouldn't be that way for her. And that my love is never, she could do anything. And my love for her is not conditional. And so I don't know, I'm just doing the absolute best that I can in any given moment to do my best for her because she deserves it. All kids, all kids deserve it. My kids at Taekwondo, the kids living next door, the kid, you know, all kids deserve that from their parent. And so I'm sure I'm not getting it right all the time, but I am, I'm trying. Yeah. And it is about yeah. intention in the end, isn't it? Your intention is love and that's the most oh. beautiful kind. And so what, for anybody out there listening to your story, that's really feeling like they have no hope, what would you say to them? I know how they feel. It's very real. There were times, especially when I first got out of living in that home where I saw absolutely no point in being alive. And I was so isolated. And, you know, now with these podcasts and with all the resources out there, like you are not the only person going through this or have gone through it. Like there are so many other people that have survived and faced the same kind of suffering that you have. And it, you know, it might not be the next day or month or year or even five years that you feel like there's much to feel hopeful about, but you are your own spirit and it does exist even if it takes a long time it is there and if you had told me that at the beginning I would be like I'm not sure but looking back from where I am now I can tell anybody who's not sure that it does exist there is hope Mm, absolutely absolutely it's so true Becky thank you so much I think you're incredible I think you're incredible like your story is It's so hard and I think growing up with a narcissistic mother on top of everything else that's been going on, it's one of the hardest situations but to see 
you've actually had the strength to get through it. You're now flourishing in your life and thriving. You've got this beautiful little girl. Thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably your story today. Thank you for letting me tell it. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Acast makes it easy for any business to browse and buy host-read podcast sponsorships through our self-serve ad platform. With over 100,000 shows on our network, we have podcasters that speak to every type of audience, from huge names like Mark Marin and Brooke DeVard to niche shows with hyper-engaged listeners. Discover the largest podcast influencer marketplace and pick the perfect voices for your brand to start seeing the results of truly authentic influencer marketing. Head over to go.acast.com slash sponsorships to launch your campaign.